Shabbos, everyone. Good Shabbos. This morning, throughout the Torah, Barshat Ki Tisa, can be found in your Eitz Chaim, in these red chumashim, these red Bibles. Hopefully you have one. If you don't, please look on with somebody. This morning's reading, the middle third of a triennial cycle, can be found on page 529, verse 18. Now after God had finished speaking with Moses, he gave him two tablets. And these tablets were not just any old tablets. They were tablets of stone written with God's finger. Beginning of chapter 32 in the nation, the people saw that Moses tarried in descending from the mountain. And so they gathered. They gathered around Aaron and they said to Aaron, make us a God. Make us a God that will go before us for this Moses character, this Moshe guy, we have no idea what happened to him. And then Aaron does the unthinkable, the unspeakable. Aaron participates. Remove your golden earrings, your nose rings from your wives and from your sons and daughters and bring them to me and they comply they're dutiful they bring them to Aaron the, the text calls out Aaron he takes them from his hand and he throws them into this conveniently located readily available mold of a golden calf Good props. The prop designer is like, oh, look at that. <laughs> and behold, and they made a molten calf, and they said, all of them, this is your God, Israel, that took you from Egypt. And Aaron saw this, and then he built an altar, and he said, It'll be a chag for God tomorrow. It'll be a holiday, a celebration. And so the next morning, they woke up. They were excited. It was a party. They had been invited. They brought all kinds of offerings. They sat to eat and to drink. And then they got back up to have a little dance. These six verses represent the primal rupture in our tradition. These more so, these six verses, this story of the golden calf, more so even than the, the disobedience in the Garden of Eden, more so than even the spies who were rebellious, more so than any other moment that isn't quite pretty. And there were many of them, unfortunately, for the Jewish people, the Israelites in the, in the desert. This is the moment. This is the moment in rabbinic literature, in biblical literature, it is 
kind of brought back into consciousness in the, in the book of Psalms and in other places. This is the quintessential archetypal. This is what it's called, the Hechitimsa, the Binyan Av. This is it. This is the Ur text of, are you kidding me? Are you joking? You are at Mount Sinai. You are experiencing the most intimate, the most obvious, most clear revelation. Could it get any better for you? As Rabbi Jill reminded us last year, I listened to, by the way, if you want to hear some amazing Torah, go back to the Roman website and hear some of the sermons from years past, and especially Rabbi Jill's, who's right here. Last year's uh, beautiful sermon titled, the, the, truth, the Whole Truth, Nothing But the Truth. And where she quoted the Midrash, the folktale of the rabbis, where they make the analogy to a chuppah, that here there's people who are under the chuppah, they're under the wedding canopy, and they can't even focus on the groom, right? They're, they're already, their eyes are straying. It's like, are you joking? You're out Mount Sinai. So Moshe goes up the mountain, he comes down from the he goes up to the mountain, they're scared. They're afraid. And they say, we don't know what happened to Moshe. And then Aaron. So there's the people as character, and there, there's the Aaron character. Aaron is in cahoots. He complies, right? I asked a couple of people this morning in, in our Torah study, like, if you were Aaron, what would you have said? Anybody who wants to be Aaron here for a moment? Any Aaron's in the house? Because I thought I saw Aaron come in the door. Any Aaron's? Any Aaron's? Anybody? No Aaron's? Yeah, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron, what? If he doesn't come back, you're going to have to? So you're just totally terrified. Yeah. yeah. So you just do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's the best you got, Aaron. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. You're, you, yeah, thank you. So it's good to have different Aaron's. So is that it? Is that all you got? No, I mean, I'm just saying I'm not, I'm not sure what the next step is going to be. Once you're, you're, you are so nervous. You don't know what's going to be the next step. So you just like... You, you lose your spine in a moment. You're like, uh, okay, I'm not, I, I'm not used to being a leader, so I'm not really sure what they want from me. Uh, maybe I'll just go along with what they say. Okay, that's good. Well, yeah. this, is new, I mean, this is the new God. This is the new God. So you're going to... Ah, so you're Aaron. You're, you're, there's a whole other subtext here. You're saying, I have, I'm gonna, hey, listen, I'm going to start my own little religion here. Moses has this mosaic religion, <laughs> and I'm going to start my own thing. Yeah, because, you know, they're asking me. I'm not Moses, and so I'll figure it out. Okay, that's a pretty radical reading right there. And kind of somebody should look that up and see if anybody says that in the tradition, because that's a really interesting reading. We have a different Aaron here who's going to speak from a different voice. Yeah, Aaron, I come to, the people have come to you and they say, here. I'm an Aaron of the people, and I'm concerned about the crying need of the people. Yeah. And Moses is up there with some sense of that the mountain can't come down to the valley. And I'm a Bodhisattva Aaron who says... This is a very deep Aaron. This Aaron is, listen, I have a moment here. My brother Moses, he's involved in all the abstract God stuff. That's all nice. That's tzaddik land, righteous land. That's like very, you know, very holy. 
but I'm a bodhisattvic. He said, I'm going to be, I want to, I make a vow to save all sentient beings. I'm an Aaron of the people. I, I can't stay there up the mountain. I'm going, to, I'm going to stay here on earth with them and help them out. Okay, that's a very interesting Aaron. I want to hear, uh, uh, one more Aaron, and then, uh, yeah, one more Aaron. You want to stall everybody. Ah, so here, so, so I kind of was waiting for Aaron, this Aaron to show up. <laughs> you know, we had the Aaron who was undermining his brother's religion because now it's my time in the spotlight and, uh, hello. And then they have the other Aaron, and then we have another Aaron who says, um, you know, it, it's actually, there's something very powerful that's happening here. I'm actually making a statement about the kind of religion that I think is important. Not the religion that's up on a mountain, but the religion that's down in the valley. The religion that's in with the people. And the people have their own geist. They have their own knowing. They have their own intelligence. They want to create a golden calf? I'll follow them. Meaning, that's a kind of leadership model. I'm going to actually work with them with what they're bringing. And they brought the golden earrings? Let's make that happen. And then we have the third Aaron who says, wait a second. Like, he was only five minutes late. It's like, it's like how many people here, right? How many people here, if somebody's like five minutes late, they're already thinking that something happened to them? <laughs> Not too many. I've, I, you guys are laughing with me, but honestly, five minutes you're thinking, okay, whatever, you got caught in traffic. It, caught in traffic. I mean, Mount Sinai is a big place. <laughs> like, is it, is it so hard to imagine that Aaron could have interspersed here in the text and said, listen, He's, he'll be here. It's not like he brought you out of Egypt only to get lost on the mountain. And what's this anxiety? So we've talked about this in a number of moments here in the community. And this is one of the great, again, given that this text is the text of all idolatry. And read idolatry here broadly, not narrowly. Now, how many people here have golden calves in their home? Wow, a surprising number, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I thought maybe I'd get one hand, you know. How many people have golden calves? I mean, we have a city with a lot of golden, golden calves are not altogether very common forms of idolatry, nor are, you know, other more overt, obvious, concrete expressions. So idolatry takes many forms, and the text here wants us to know the text here wants us to know something about how idolatry or the idolatrous impulse, let's call it that, the idolatrous impulse, how that begins. How does idolatry work is that in the space where waiting is required, we scratch the itch. You can't read a book by D.T. Suzuki, the great Zen prophet of America, or any great text of spiritual literature without hearing spiritual teachers say that when you meet the Buddha on the road, kill the Buddha. That in the space where there is no thing, it's the resistance to the urge to replace the no thing with a something which is at the root of, of idol worship. That's what the text wants to know. Can you wait? Can you wait long enough for that which is supposed to arrive to arrive without rushing, without being afraid, without scratching the itch, without pushing, without resisting, just waiting. Is there anything wrong with waiting? Waiting for Godot, waiting for my meal, waiting for my appointment, waiting for my bashert, waiting for, waiting for, waiting for. What's the quality of the waiting? Is it pregnant? 
Is it full? Can it hold? Can the container be there long enough to trust? The word for mother in Hebrew, aim, and the word imun, being faithful, like the mother that holds until the term. Here the people can't hold their yearning to replace that icky feeling with something else. How many people here check their phones more than once a minute? No, seriously. Seriously. How many people in our culture, in a culture where there is a never-ending stream, if you text somebody and they don't respond to you in 15 minutes, you think, what's wrong? Something must be wrong. You didn't text me in 15 minutes. We're becoming more and more kiboshesh Moshe people. Boshesh. What do you mean you, you didn't have your phone on? That's the point of a cell phone. It's not a landline. You have to have it on all the time. We've become a culture where awkward silence, which could also be seen as sacred solitude that exists between people, like sacred solitude, like you're each in your own world, you're sitting across from each other, there's a moment, no one's saying anything, and it's like, okay, now what do I do? I'll just wait for the next words to come. I'll just wait. They're going to come. There's a fundamental distrust of silence because we hear silence as absence, not presence. When there are no words happening, we think, oh, someone's angry. When there's nothing happening, we think, boring. It's a childish mentality. And our culture, in some ways, is actually breeding within us, again, a childish mentality. Things need to be happening immediately. Children learn to wait long enough. When the object, the mother, is no longer there, they have confidence that she's coming back at some point. So this morning's reading, I think, shines a light, a very intense focus on, on the question of, can you wait? Can I wait? What do I do in the interstices in my life, in those moments between and moments around? One of the things that I tried to implement in Roma, which, by the way, this is a good time to announce that I think we're going to implement it again, unless people take off my head. Um, I want the sanctuary to be silent on Friday night before people come in. And so we're going to start having this space as a sacred sanctuary for silence again. We'll try it again, where people can actually catch up on the week, either in the other room, on the side of the, of the shul, or maybe after shul is over. But what would it be like in a world where the entire week is full of filled time to have 20 minutes when you walk into the sanctuary where nothing's happening, no rabbi speaking, no songs are happening, there's no liturgy to know, there's no sidur to hold. You don't even have to say hello to the people you haven't seen since last week because first you're going to say hello to your own sound of silence. What would that be like? So I wanted to call forward this morning for the first group aliyah, people who are now in a holding pattern somewhere, hovering above some city in their life. And they're wondering, and they're yelling at the, the stewards, when are we landing? And the stewards are saying, would you like some refreshments while you wait? <laughs> right? Because we're going to land, I promise you. We'll run out of fuel. There's going to be a landing happening. But just wait. And might as well do something really yummy while you're waiting. Like, I don't know, be quiet. 
So Kibosheish Moshe Lavo, Moses tarried in his descending from the mountain and taught us a lesson for all time, which is that the itch that leads to reification, the itch that leads to substitution, the itch that leads away from the mystery of what will be, we have to resist scratching it long enough for it to arise of its own accord and to have faith that it will arise. If you are in one of those places in your life where you need to hear that you can wait, please come forward for the first Aliyah.